Hi folks, welcome to the happysaver.com podcast. Your friends might not want to talk about their journey with money, but I do. I'm Ruth and I'm a blogger on personal finance and in this podcast series I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. I met Victoria via my blog when we began to chat by email. So when I knew I wanted to create a podcast and wanted to interview a woman who gives her financial situation very careful consideration, she was high up on my list. And this is a snapshot of a calm and calculated Kiwi woman having a go and succeeding at setting her own financial path. Would you like some free money? Sharesies is offering a sign-up bonus of $10 for all Kiwis wanting to start investing. Sharesies is one of the platforms I use to invest in my personal favourite, index funds, and they are a company that has rapidly become a New Zealand success story as they have enabled thousands of people to get involved in share investing, often for the very first time. If you would like to sign up with Sharesies and get $10 into your Sharesies wallet, go to thehappysaver.com forward slash Sharesies and start your investing journey today. Financial literacy is, to me, the synergy of all the parts of your life coming together to give you direction. And I think that Victoria is an excellent example of this. She is a gutsy, independent, self-assured woman who wants to be defined by her own rules and no one else's. She told me she does not look up to anyone but treads her own path instead and I was intrigued to learn more about her. She has worked in some form or other since she was just 15 years old and the work has never been steady. It was part-time when she was studying and she became a self-employed contractor once she hit the workforce proper. She likes the flexibility that self-employment gives her and has adjusted very well to the periods when she has an income and those where she doesn't. The non-work periods really don't faze her, even if she does not know when she is going to have work again, because her mindset has always been around saving hard so she can cover the downtimes. The contracts she takes on tend to vary a lot in length, from a few months to a year or more. She has worked overseas, but more recently she worked on a web business analysis management project right here in New Zealand. Although she would love to relocate to beautiful Queenstown, most of her roles are actually talking face-to-face with people, so she really needs to be where the work is. She has tried working remotely, but finds that challenging. So for now, most work is in Wellington, it is the best paid and the government offers stable contracts and are always doing new interesting things and also starting new projects. She has spent a lot of money and time on her education over many years and as a result owed a lot of money too, which she has since paid back. Unfortunately, she believes that a lot of her education just does not matter and there is often little correlation between the contracts she takes on and the education that she actually has. And she is pretty well qualified, I can tell you. She has a degree in film and political science and almost a master's in economics that she is just a few papers off finishing, so close. Uh, She has come this far with it, but she is actually still uncertain if she will complete it. She also began but abandoned an apprenticeship in automotive engineering and after getting into it she found it was just not for her so she moved on. 
Victoria is very clear-cut like that. Why continue on with something that is clearly not working? And I've heard about the strategy of failing quickly and moving on, and I think that that is a really good strategy to employ if you work out so soon that something is just not for you. She talked of a friend who had recently qualified as a diesel mechanic and will head out straight from training to directly apply those skills, whereas with all of her education, that is just not an option. On the flip side, I can see that she can take a wide range of skills just about in any employment direction, so that her education is actually working for her, just perhaps not in the way she planned it. She tells me she would not give financial advice to others headed to study. She has voiced her opinion on financial matters before and she said she's been shot down. But I wish that she would because she is in a unique position too, given her time in the New Zealand tertiary education system. But I managed to tease this much out of her. She would say, don't take on debt for your education. She was alarmed that students were taking on extraordinary amounts at their young age when they can't understand the future implications of it. They would be best to figure out what they want to do right now and do that, and the rest will come later on, and that that thing that they want to do, it does not have to be an expensive education. She suggested that they take a moment, you really don't have to rush, Take a few years to decide your journey. And she stressed that when you are taking on debt, you have to be really, really careful. And that responsibility is something you can't grasp when you are so young, she believes. Some are lucky enough to get a scholarship and some have parents who are willing to pay for their courses. But she said it never occurred to her parents to help her with her education. And for those who borrow with an interest-free loan in New Zealand, She sees this as a downside too because she believes that there is no financial incentive to pay that money back. For Victoria, she did not want debt hanging over her head, interest-free or not, and she is very black and white about it. In her mind, debt is debt and she avoids it whenever possible. She did take on debt to study, but as soon as she had the spare money from saving hard and investing, she attacked her debt as soon as she could. She used two friends as an example of how not to go about tertiary study. One is 41 years old with a $50,000 loan and the other 31 with a $30,000 loan and like her, both of them are not currently working in the industry in which they studied. I asked Victoria why don't people want to talk about money. She thinks about that question a lot herself and like many people out there, she does not have a set of friends she can talk about it with. It's like money is, in her words, a complete secret. Someone she works with took a job because she said that she needed the money, but mostly people can't seem to admit that they need it. She thinks that money is usually related to status in some way and maybe we don't like to talk about it because it reveals our status. Now, in today's society, you can pretend you have money and the status you perceive it brings, but it is actually achieved through debt. So how come everyone is looking like they are doing so well? She asked me. She was incredulous when her friends bought a new car, but they took on debt to afford it. So maybe part of it is if you talk about money, you may reveal that you don't have it. I think that the high levels of household debt in New Zealand completely back up the thoughts she shared with me during our chat. 
But thankfully, she did want to talk to me about money, so I kept pushing on with asking questions. And the next one was, Victoria, if you were given $10,000 right now, what would you do with it? She would put it in her savings account and think about it. She would give me no immediate answer, just that she would think greatly about it. Maybe she would pursue an investment idea. There was nothing that she felt she could buy with that value. $10,000 won't make much of a difference in the scheme of things. Not like $100,000 would. Now, if she had $100,000, she would invest it in something to do with retirement, she thought. Maybe she would invest some, save some, take a trip with some. So I could see that money sitting in her savings account for quite some time while she thought carefully about its appropriate use. And each time I ask this question of the people I'm speaking with for this podcast series, it really highlights the differences in people to me. Those who spend a good deal of time thinking about how to use their money are generally a whole lot further ahead in the saving stakes and her next answers more than back this up. Because I asked her what her three main financial habits were, things that she just automatically does. Number one, (laughs) she has a daily habit of waiting. (laughs) She will wait before spending so she knows for sure if she really needs to buy that thing. And she also said, I don't spend money unless I'm required to. And she sticks to the following spending routine. Monday through Thursday, she does not spend money. None. Friday to Sunday are the days she buys things. Interesting. Her number two habit is as soon as she is paid, she saves first. And that is the absolute thrill of the week for her, which I love and I completely relate to. She does not have many bills and she uses her credit card to pay them, but she always pays it before it's due. And her number three, on Friday, she will get out a set amount of cash to see her through the week. She tries to use cash as much as possible, but does not always succeed. It's getting harder as some businesses no longer have change. So she's mindful to have exact change whenever she can. Now, the reason is it makes her much more mindful of her spending. It clearly makes you understand that you are paying money for something and it is quite a different experience to paying with a credit card. And interestingly, another reason for using cash so much is that she also values her privacy. Working in the internet-based areas, as she does, she knows the power of internet analytics. And she does not need or want every purchase she makes being tracked, and she only sees this trend increasing, and she wants to avoid being swept up in it. So that's really, really mindful spending right there. I asked if, because she does have a credit card, she chases reward points, and I loved her response. God, no, not worth it, the dumbest thing ever. She said in the States it is worth it with all their travel hacking and what have you, but not in New Zealand. So you could call Victoria old school with her credit card. She uses it simply for the purpose it was intended, and of course she pays it off each month. Everyone has a money elevator pitch, whether they realise it or not, a sentence that would sum up their approach to money. For Victoria, it was short, sweet and straight to the point. Be frugal, save now to spend later. When growing up, I wondered what influence her parents had on her and I asked her what was one piece of advice, good or bad, that her parents taught her about money. She says they actually never spoke to her about money, but what she picked up from them was both the good and the bad around frugality. 
There was the unspoken message in her household of great frugality and she grew up with very frugal parents. And to give an example, they lived in a house with central heating, but her father would never let it be put on. Although born in New Zealand, she was raised in other countries as well as New Zealand and her parents simply didn't spend money on things. And she says it is all good and well being frugal, but if you are not spending on things like heating, that can detract from your quality of life. And she firmly believes that spending money on daily life is what makes life worth living. What does she wish they had taught her that she has since worked out for herself? Mm, She is still working out the answer to this. She has worked out that there is value in spending money. After all, the only purpose of it is to spend it, and to her it has absolutely no point or purpose unless you do spend it. So next question was, how much does she engage in her financial education these days? When handling her money, she now knows what she wants to do and how to do it, and with a calm determination, she goes about it. She read her first book on money at age 17 when she bought it for her mum as a gift, but she ended up reading it herself, and her mum never did. And all she remembers is that it had a red cover, was aimed at women, and had some random author. So good luck finding that in the library. Um, But still, it very much left an impression with her. And over time, she avidly consumed any content, whether it be book, podcast, TV show or blog on personal finance. But she has had her fill and she no longer researches and seeks out info on personal finance as she believes a lot of that advice is incorrect and comes from the wrong place with people pushing their own beliefs and products. And she also thinks that some of them are just downright dodgy. A lot of personal finance blogs are, in her view, not educational, but instead self-congratulatory and a way for the author to make themselves seem bigger, better and brighter than they actually are. And it grates her when they say they are retired, but they are actually still working, but for themselves. And she can now spot a lot of falsehoods in the information she reads and listens to. Here in New Zealand, we have very few people to refer to for advice and she feels that those we do have are a bit hamstrung by the media organisation they work for or the company that employs them. And as a result, in her mind, they simply can't offer impartial advice. So she has no recommendations for you and I, but instead offered the advice to others to pick up a few books and pick a few blogs or podcasts or whatever media you like and find what sticks for you. And that is pretty sound advice in my book too. But what about debt? What are her thoughts on debt, given that she told me she avoids it whenever possible? She is not anti-debt, she was pretty clear to point out. And she also said that businesses in New Zealand take on debt constantly in order to survive. She is, however, opposed to status debt. Debt taken on in order to make it appear that people have things which make them feel more confident in themselves, such as cars, boats, clothes or whatever. And her only debt is in the house she lives in with her partner and she has a very good plan in place for paying it down together and they will be mortgage free in a few years which is amazing. The flip side of debt is saving and Victoria is indeed a regular saver but she does not have specific amounts to save. Being self-employed and doing contract work it would be far too difficult to do this. She just saves as much as she possibly can and it varies from week to week. So to go into the nuts and the bolts of things a bit, she has a number of bank accounts and moves money around to try and take advantage of the best interest rates, even though it's pretty slim pickings at the moment. 
and she has two accounts with what she called a small New Zealand bank, which gives her a higher rate on her returns. One is a savings account, which she could probably call her emergency fund, and she gets stressed if the balance drops below $20,000, and this actually appears to be a common thread among good savers. They all tend to have a critical amount in mind, and if the balance drops below that amount, their stress levels increase. The second account she has is there to use if she's saving up for something specific, and she will direct money into that account until she reaches her target balance. She also has a cheque account and a savings account with another major New Zealand bank. She keeps these two accounts with a bigger bank so she can move money around more easily because moving money between banks uh, sometimes takes a couple of days, she's found. She invests in both smart shares index funds and individual shares and she tells me she is not on the just invest in index funds bandwagon. She thinks of them as a very good place to get started but just using it as her sole investment vehicle is not for her and she keeps a smaller percentage in index funds than in other areas of investing. And ethical investing is an interesting topic for her. There is a lot of confusion on what is an ethical investment. Yes, it's bombs and smokes, but ethical investing is a lot more nuanced than that, she believes. And it's such a grey area and the complexities of each company make it extremely hard to choose one. So as an investor, you need to understand where your money is going and Victoria believes you have a far better understanding when you invest in individual companies. And yes, of course, she has KiwiSaver and she voluntarily pays into it, but just enough to get those member tax credits each year. And she is involved in New Zealand and Australian managed funds as well. So she is a buy and hold kind of investor, but she has sold out of one or two shares this year to buy into another, but she sells very infrequently and she uses ANZ share investing to manage her trades when she does decide to buy or sell. So I was curious about what she invested in in the past but no longer uses today and she stated pretty categorically that bonus bonds is a good thing to get out of. Uh, Sometimes she gets out of companies completely when she sells shares and an example of this was Ryman Healthcare who she felt was not doing as well as she would like. She had a good return on her investment for a while but it slowed so she sold up and she's moved on with them. For someone who is so calculated with money, does Victoria have a splurge, I wondered? You know, that one thing you know could be a waste of money, but you do it anyway. She tells me that clothing is her splurge, but only certain types. There are two New Zealand clothing designers that she loves, but she manages to mostly buy them on Trade Me second hand. She didn't mind buying new off these designers once in a while. But secondhand uh, for cheaper is definitely the way to go and I would wholeheartedly agree with her on this one. So there you have it. She opened the door just enough to give a glimpse into the decisions she makes. Victoria is a very private person and I'm grateful that she shared such a lot of her financial journey with me and with you. She's an interesting and complex character and a real thinker who has stepped up and taken responsibility for her own financial future. You will perhaps note no reference to age and that is because she describes herself as no determinant age. We have never met in person so who knows and does it really matter anyway. She operates slightly outside of societal norms and very much takes her own advice and that is why after we finished chatting our conversation was very much on my mind for quite some time. 
Victoria is certainly one to question the status quo and do a U-turn and go in completely the opposite direction and tread her own path, which is something I greatly admire in a woman. On her journey, she has openly questioned the assumptions of others, particularly, she said, the older and younger white men about the information they put out there and has received a frosty response in return. But she will continue to question, I have no doubt, and will not be swayed by any misinformation or misogyny and will continue to tread her own path and create her own future. She says she has put her head above the parapet a few times and been shot down as a response, so that makes her more cautious, but at the same time more ambitious to follow her own assertions. I'm always looking to others for tips and tricks, and her no-spend Monday through Thursday was an out-there idea, so for any one of you who's listening to this who struggles with frittering, then this habit would bring you back into line pretty quickly, leaving the cash or bank card at home on those days should do the trick I reckon. And Victoria has quite a few investments on the go which for me gives a nod to the importance of diversification. She shows an amazing discipline at following her financial plan and a calmness too where she is sure of her convictions and won't be swayed by the next new fad of investing. And that is probably one of the standout features of our conversation, Victoria's calmness in describing what she's doing and just sticking to her path. And as I'm finding, the more people I talk to who are investing for the future, the more I find the conversation is really about what material possessions they have, and actually not even about the dollars in the bank, but instead the life they are leading now, and the future they are planning for, and they use cash purely as a tool to enable that future. And Victoria certainly left me wanting to know more about her, And it is people like who that keep me so interested in personal finance. So I just wanted to extend a huge thank you to her for sharing her time with me and with you. If you found today's episode or any other episode helpful, it would mean a whole lot to me if you left a quick review in iTunes. This is one of the best ways for other people interested in personal finance to discover the podcast. I'm looking forward to catching you next episode. Happy saving. Happy saving.